and welcome to episode two of Station to Station. I'm your host, Michelle Bacon, and I'll be going behind the stages, venues, and studios of Kansas City's musical landscape, talking to the individuals who are making it happen. And one of my goals with this podcast is to connect with voices we don't get to hear from as often, to amplify the important work they're doing in the music world. So I'm especially excited for this episode because my next guest is one of my closest friends and one of my favorite rhythm section partners. So if you go to shows in Kansas City, there's a pretty good chance you've seen Stephanie Williams in action behind the drums. And if you have, I'm certain you've taken notice. Welcome to the podcast, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you are pretty recognizable, I would say, in Kansas City. I think it's as far may- as, maybe just my as far bangs. As drummer, it, it probably is the bangs. Yeah. That's actually one of the notes I have on oh, here yeah. we'll is check. <laughs> your hair. But yeah, I mean, you are one of the most distinct, dynamic, and hardest working drummers in Kansas City. And over the past year alone, um, you've played with bands like Katie Gann and The Drive, Womanish Girl, Madison Warren and the Mama Bear, Danielle Nicole, Joanne Shaw Taylor, <laughs> Band That Fell to Earth. Yeah, I just try to play with pretty much anyone who will have me. Yeah. So, and this year's been a little weird. With COVID, so you've been an internationally touring musician for the last several years now. And then back in, what was it, March, Mm -hmm. you were out in the UK with Joanne Shaw Taylor, and I know you had to come back a little bit early. Uh, Yeah, I was out on my my first sort of big overseas, uh, on my own as a a drummer tour. The first time I ever got to be on a tour bus, things like that, you know, it it was pretty huge for me. And yeah, about halfway through things started to get pretty scary as far as international travel went. I know some borders were being shut down. Some of the members of Joanne's band were worried about being able to get back into their countries. Mm. Um, I started to worry about being able to get back to the U.S. <laughs> yeah. And they, uh, yeah, they made the call. We finished the halfway point. Uh, the last date we did was, was two in a row in, in London. And then I flew home and quarantined for the next, what, nine months? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you came back, like, right when they passed that travel ban, right? Yeah, there were uh, talks of having a ban while I was over there, so I started to really get anxious. Um, And Joanne and her team were really, really great. Uh, Could have been a lot scarier for me, but they kept me calm, and they were like, you're you're gonna get home. She actually rebooked a flight, just, uh, I had a flight, and there was some question as to whether or not we'd be able to change it, and she was like, I'll just get you a new flight, so. That's awesome. uh, Yeah, they were great, but having to leave that was, was disappointing because it was my my first solo adventure as mm-hmm. a musician where I just went out and played for a band that I wasn't, you know, a part of building and things like that. But I had a great time while I was there and it was it made for a unique experience for sure. So was it any different? I mean, was COVID starting to affect the crowds out there? Or? There was a sort of a, a general sense of, I wouldn't say panic, but there was some anxiety in the air for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the streets I noticed in London at the time there were a, a bunch of people in masks which I hadn't seen yet and honestly I didn't see again until months later here in the <laughs> right. US yeah. uh, unfortunately but yeah, yeah there, there was there was a little bit of uh, a nervousness in the crowds the the last couple of nights of that tour mm-hmm. and I, I mean the band we were all fairly anxious about getting home to our families and yeah it was it was interesting. Yeah. So you obviously haven't been able to play as much this year since then, um, but you have stayed really busy, and that's one thing I've always admired about you and Katie. Katie Gaten the Drive is one of your newer projects. So this year you launched a Patreon, put out a bunch of different split-screen videos, you've done a ton of live streams, and your main source of income also has been yeah. playing shows and stuff like that. So it's a credit to you and Katie that you've been able to still keep it going, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Since, uh, since coming back from that UK tour, Katie Guillen and I, uh, she's been my longtime collaborator, uh, as anybody who knows me, everybody knows that, but she, she's really, really excellent at motivating me to, to push forward and to be flexible and sort of pivot when necessary. And it was, certainly necessary this year. Um, When I came back, we immediately realized that we weren't going to be playing any live shows for, I mean, we, at the time we were like, maybe it'll be a month, but (laughs) as, as time went on, we realized kind of how long we, we may be looking at um, having to rethink our approach to being a a band. 
Um, so when I came home, we I decided um, we're going to learn how to use Logic, which is a, a mm-hmm. software for recording music, and um, Final Cut. There was a free trial of both, so I downloaded them and watched all of the YouTube videos you could possibly watch. And I was like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna make some content because we have to mm-hmm. um, one to keep going as a band and two just to stay sane we needed something to do and I feel very very fortunate that I was able to be quarantined with my collaborative partner because it really it kept me from from going going crazy right Um, but yeah we learned how to make learned how to record demos we learned how to make split screen videos so we could collaborate with people from their houses we did a video with you Uh, Mm -hmm. we did a Bowie song that was super fun Mm -hmm. that was one of the first videos I did so that that's great there was some 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 cussing and some tears uh, into the actual (laughs) editing of that but yeah yeah it was I've I've been having fun learning new things Um, and we've been able to play a few shows we played I think three shows one is Womanish Girl, which is our duo, um, to play the kind of bluesier stuff. Uh, one as Katie Gian and the Drive, which you were a part of, mm-hmm. a major part of, I'd say one third of. Uh, <laughs> and one as a reunion show for Katie Gian and the Girls. And they were all outside and socially distanced. And basically, we're at a point where we've decided that if we wouldn't be comfortable inviting our moms or you know right. grandmas to a show, then we're, we're probably not going to do it for now. Um, that's kind of our <laughs> our guideline for it. But yeah, the shows that we've played have been very safe. Lemonade Park was the one that the, the drive played at and they mm-hmm. do they they were doing a great job yeah. all year of, of allowing bands that opportunity to play because you don't realize how important it is as, as a right. release, mm-hmm. an emotional release, um, until you can't do it. Yeah. So very thankful to them. Yeah, being able to play that show was just like it it helped my soul a little yeah. bit, I think. Same. Because it just felt like it had just been so long, I think, since I was able to play like yeah. loud music and in front of people, right. you know. And even though it was still a little bit different because you can't can't tell people to come up to the front of the stage <laughs> or anything. Or yeah, the energy great. feels different at shows yeah. now, um, mm-hmm. for sure. I've, I've noticed, but. But people want it too, yeah. so you can. I think you can kind of feel that, even though they're like all sitting in their little pods and stuff. Right. Yeah. They may not be up up front giving you that like direct eye contact. You know, right. I can only yeah. see so far. <laughs> right. But but you can feel it. I, I felt it at the shows that we were able to play, mm-hmm. and it just kind of made me um, excited to to be able to play more. Uh, and then you know, we we played these shows. We're like, all right, cool. We got a an outdoor thing going on, and then it snowed like <laughs> right right after that. And so yeah, yeah. now so here now, we are. Yeah, here we are. We're in the winter, but as soon as we're able to, I, I know that we're anxious to get back to that. So you were telling me that you haven't been well. You haven't done a podcast before, never. And I don't know that I've heard you do too many interviews like no, on your I, own. I typically don't because yeah. uh, I, I don't know. I think that's why. I was drawn to something like drumming, right. you know, I could just sit in the back and kind of like have a good time and I'm there, but I'm not like your typical songwriter Front or somebody or who, whatever, yeah. yeah, I don't actually even know what I sound like recorded. So sorry to your <laughs> well, listeners if I we'll sound see. like a goblin. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Welcome. What I'm, what I'm going My for. second guest is a goblin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm just more comfortable letting other people talk generally. I, I just don't necessarily feel uh, important enough to have a, a slot of time dedicated to, to talking about myself but right. I am I am very happy to be here and it's with my best friend so yeah. this is a wonderful way to start aw shucks aw shucks <laughs> well and then also I don't know to me and I think a lot of people around the area you're not just a drummer <laughs> um, and especially as somebody who's collaborated with you before you're, you're definitely you have a very big hand in creating the songs you're a great arranger you're not a songwriter per se but i think that you know you contribute a lot more than just like laying down a beat well, thank which you. is which is what i do when i play drums now you contribute a lot <laughs> um let's just compliment each other yeah back and forth. that's that's really that's really what this podcast is about yeah. yeah i i know you've been playing drums for a really long time that's always been your passion right yeah yeah i've i've wanted to play the drums literally as long as I can remember mm-hmm. um, I used to go to shows in uh, Branson Missouri a lot with my <laughs> with my grandparents and my parents and I was always drawn to the drummer whereas you know other kids may have paid more attention to the singer dancers up front or the guitar player I was like, specifically watched the drummers the entire time and um, so yeah. what do you think it was that drew you to it I genuinely don't know it's the <laughs> one thing in my life that I, I can't <laughs> In, in any way logically explain I just 
I saw it and I liked it. Um, I loved it. And I, I just never let go of that desire to get my hands on them and, and, and play and be a part of that world. I, I just, I felt like there was something special about the drummers that I saw when I was younger uh, because I couldn't explain what was drawing to me to them. I don't know what it was. I just, I loved it. Yeah. Love so, at first sight. <laughs> so when did you actually start playing? I started playing, um, I got a drum set just before my 12th birthday. And then we left and went on a vacation <laughs> right after I got the first kit. And I remember being so disappointed. Like I did not want to go on this vacation because I finally <laughs> got that thing I wanted. Um, so yeah, I, I, I tolerated the vacation, <laughs> got home. It was, I'm sure it was great, but yeah, I got home and uh, I was, I was done. That was, that was it for me. I was like, this is, this is what I do. This is who I am. This is what I love. And uh, I started taking lessons with a guy named Dave Jarman in Blue Springs, who was fantastic um, and very patient because I was young and didn't like to practice what he told me to practice, you know, <laughs> just trying to play along with my CDs. But then I, yeah, I played in high school uh, thanks to Kent Roush, who's actually uh, Colin and Kyle Roush from the Shy Boys. Mm-hmm. It's, it's their dad. He's, to this day, I, I am so grateful to him. He's one of the main reasons that I'm playing, that I'm doing what I'm doing, and that I've had any of the opportunities I've had uh, because I, I actually was <laughs> sort of forced to pick a different instrument in middle school because I hadn't had piano lessons. Did you play saxophone? Yeah, yeah, I did because I was like, okay, well, if I can't play the drums, which they said wasn't allowed, uh, I want to play the next coolest instrument that you can possibly play in a in a uh, you know like a wind symphonic band setting. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, saxophone, obviously, like there's the California Raisin guy, he plays. <laughs> of course, yeah, he's got they got sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, he's the it's, coolest. It was for the sure. second coolest in my opinion, <laughs> and I'd say in a lot of people's. I mean, no one's yeah, everyone, but it's a cool instrument. It is, but it wasn't. Yeah, I, w- I wasn't passionate about the saxophone, but I, <laughs> I am glad that I was in a way forced to do that because, you know, I I learned a lot about reading music and understanding beyond just uh, rhythmic playing, like understanding, mm-hmm. you know, notes and being able to read that sort of thing. Because I played saxophone in middle school, I wasn't uh, I wasn't really set up to, to play drums at any point in school, but I went in, just sort of blindly auditioned um, with this piece that I'd practiced forever. Like, <laughs> I went in and I did a lot better than I actually was, I think, in this audition mm-hmm. with, with Kent Roush, and he gave me a chance, and I really sucked. Uh, <laughs> I was bad, <laughs> and I feel terrible for, you know, the guys on the line that were like, you put this freshman on the snare line, and now we suck. But I worked really hard uh, to deserve to be there, and that that gave me the, my, the first time that something drove me to, to really want to be better was that so that's yeah that's where I, that's where I learned pretty much everything that I use today yeah was that that uh, Blue Springs High School <laughs> drumline yeah and this is kind of a weird question mm-hmm. and we may end up cutting it but so I was wondering about like were there other girls playing drums or yeah um, there was okay there were there were a few other lady drummers uh, when I was in high school there were a couple girls on the bass drum line there were some girls in the front ensemble um, one of my best friends from my younger years uh, Kelsey Cook she joined the snare line a couple years after me and um, we really bonded and I think I saw the same passion in her that, that I felt for drumming so mm-hmm. um, yeah she's out in Nashville now just killing yeah. it yeah mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I just wondered, because that's something we've talked about a little bit, like being a quote-unquote girl drummer, Mm -hmm. because I know, you know, like I play bass and drums, but every time I play drums, I feel like somebody has a comment about it. (laughs) Oh yeah, I was also going to ask, you played the Macy's Parade too, didn't you? Mm -hmm. Was that in high school? Was that with Blue Springs? Yep. Okay. How was that? Uh, Yeah, the Macy's Parade. I think we played, it would have been the 2005 uh, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is my senior year of high school. It was it was surreal, honestly. Uh, the whole thing is real blurry for me yeah, <laughs> because we had to wake up at like two in the morning and okay. go to a run through. Like, um, you know what I don't want to do at two in the morning is play a snare drum <laughs> right? outside in the yeah, freezing nobody rain. Nobody wants you to do the that. The streets of New York City. It's not <laughs> ideal, but it was fun. I'm, I'm I'm really glad I got to do it. But those are the types of things that I'm grateful for uh, when it comes to my high school experience. We just got to do these crazy cool. Yeah, things that I feel, you know, a lot of people would love to do. So I'm grateful for the 2 a.m. or whatever <laughs> experience, even though it was freezing. And the entire parade was, it, it felt like it lasted 
five minutes tops yeah because we were just like oh my gosh yeah that's insane i can't even imagine after high school you you worked at world's fun yeah yeah actually at kent roush again with the hookup um (laughs) he recommended me there was a position open at the tivoli theater at world's of fun which is um a review show that happened i think it was like four or five times a day six days a week and i did that in the summers for i want to say five or six years i i learned a lot about discipline there you know it takes a lot of focus to be able to play the same exact set of so what were you yeah what kind of music were you playing oh they was all over the place one one two the last two years were it was a country like a modern country medley that was terrible (laughs) Uh, no i was kidding (laughs) sounds fun (laughs) um the first few years of worlds of fun it was a review show so there would be like a jersey boys section and like a uh Grease section, I think. There were just different <laughs> musicals we would do medleys of. Uh, Walter Bryant was the musical director out there, and he was just a genius. He could mash up any songs you throw at him. So he'd make these nice. these, these medleys, and we'd, we'd play the songs that have maybe five different sets within each show that happened four or five times a day. It, I, I learned a lot out there. So that kind of sounds like your Branson dreams. Yeah, like, I was came living the dream that. at yeah, 18. I mean, really? Yeah, I was making like... <laughs> twice as much money as I would have made at McDonald's yeah. or something. And I was playing literally drums. just playing the drums, <laughs> hanging out with cool people and working at Worlds of Fun. So yeah. it was ideal. And you also learned how to do some awesome effects makeup. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just, um, they were looking for a makeup artist for the Halloween, uh, <laughs> the Halloween show. And I was like, well, I, I mean, I could do my own makeup. Like I, yeah. I wear my cover girl or whatever at the time and uh so i gave it a shot and i ended up really loving it and i did it for maybe i don't know four years or so the airbrush special effects makeup mm-hmm. got really into it which is kind of crazy because i'm i pass out at the sight of blood but when it's fake blood that i've put on someone all about it i'm into it yeah you did put it like a giant gash on my cheek that sounds right time. Yeah. yeah i do like practicing on friends so yeah that was cool <laughs> If anyone needs any makeup, yeah, let me know. So you worked at Worlds of Fun, and then, so from there, when did you really start playing in bands, I guess? Uh, I started playing in bands more seriously my senior year of high school, so it would have been right before Worlds of Fun and during Worlds of Fun. Okay. Uh, and that was my, my first real band, I guess, uh, was a band called DeLorean <laughs> with two of, now my lifelong best friends, Walt and Josh. Yeah, Walt was uh, maybe mid-20s, something like that, and he came up to me at Guitar Center and was like, are you in a band? <laughs> I was like, who are you, strange man? I'm 17, but I ended up, it was yeah one of my favorite experiences that I've had was playing with those guys. I saw DeLorean before you joined, before I met you, because my, my buddy John was in a band called Bacon, which is no relation to me <laughs> at all, um, and they played it. Do you remember, you probably weren't old enough to go there, because I think I was barely 21, but it was this place called The Bunker in Independence. I heard about it. It was like it was across like a, from Gates. Yeah. It was a total dive. It was, it was I, like I a missed metal that. dive I bar. That, yeah. I think they had like a sex shop in there too. It was really weird. That sounds right. Um, that's the first time I saw DeLorean. Anyway. Yeah, DeLorean was the first band that I was in that allowed me to play actual shows and go on um, an actual tour. Like a, It was looking back probably the most realistic touring experience of any of them that i've had you know we like, like sleeping on floors and couches yeah and stuff, yeah, yeah we stayed at some like abandoned house that oh. had pizza boxes and just bugs everywhere i don't know it was how did you find did, i think it was like a si- like somebody's sister had okay. moved out fairly recently like there was some <laughs> drama i don't know like okay. but i remember that this person's boyfriend had like cheated on them and so the guys were like, we're taking his video games and we're pawning them so we can stay in a hotel. And we did. Nice. <laughs> yeah, maybe don't put that in there. But. That's yeah, a real no, touring it, experience. It was, it was a very, I guess, looking back, it was a very uh, true to what you would think of a, a small band doing, you know. It was, mm-hmm. We just rode around in the van and it was a minivan uh, and played weird shows at skating rinks and things like that. And nice. I was just, I had just graduated high school, so I had the time of my life. That's awesome. Yeah.
so you were in DeLorean for quite a while, and you, you kept playing with Josh and Walt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it transitioned into The Prolific, which is the band that is the reason that I know Katie, and then I know pretty much everyone that I know today. Mm-hmm. Um, the Prolific played a lot with Katie's band at the time, the Bedinas, and Claire Adams, um, also from the girls, her projects. And so we ended up kind of all crossing paths right around the time that The Prolific was my main project. Mm-hmm. I think that's maybe when I met you, too, because the first time I saw you play, was it Halcyon? Yeah. Oh, that was, was that with The Prolific? Or? Yeah, that was okay. Prolific. I know Deco Otto played with the Prolific a couple times mm-hmm. yeah, that's at the Brick or something. Where I remember you from, like the, one of my first memories of you. So right around the time uh, that I was in the Prolific, I also I started playing with a bunch of other projects. Claire in the Crowded Stage, again with Claire Adams. Uh, that was a really fun project. It was with a bunch of people from a ton of different bands. So mm-hmm. I had a great time with that. I played with the Clementines for a bit. I played and I played bass actually in a band called the Cave Girls. Love the Cave Girls. Uh, as do I. <laughs> yeah, that who doesn't was, love the Cave Girls? One of my favorite <laughs> musical experiences of my life was playing in that band because I it was a challenge. I mm-hmm. I did not know how to play the bass really but I, I, f- I figured it out enough to be able to put on some animal print and <laughs> play garage rock songs um, but I had a, I had a really great time and I, I to this day I think Robin and Sarah are two of the most talented people I've worked with mm-hmm. and just you know genuinely good people and very naturally gifted yeah and just one of the most fun bands oh, yeah. I remember ever seeing in town <laughs> it just it took me out of kind of like who I was at the time and threw mm-hmm. me up front on the stage. Like I was yeah. talking earlier about, you know, I'm very comfortable being in the back behind this mm-hmm. massive structure of instruments. Right. <laughs> and so I was, yeah, I was right at the front of the stage, just completely exposed. But it's a totally different experience. Very different. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm glad that I that I did that. I think it, it probably actually helped some with that overall kind of anxiety of, right. <laughs> of being on a stage in general. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the same with me. Like, I, I started playing drums first, and then I transitioned to bass. It was scary for a long time. Yeah, I actually, I just, I saw Robin and Sarah playing as the Cave Girls as, as their duo. I believe it was one of the HRC shows. It was at Crosstown Station, which was a sweet venue back in the oh day. Oh my gosh, I missed that place. Me too. It was one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah. But I, I just, I somehow connected with them, and I was like, hey, I, I want to be in your band, but I see that you already have a drummer, <laughs> and she's awesome, yeah. so... <laughs> Uh, can I do something else? Like, is, do you need anything? You need like a tambourine, or they're like, I, I guess I just somehow ended up being like, well, I have a bass, so let's make it happen. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to talk a little bit about how we met and started playing together a bit. I was I was friends with Josh beforehand. I was doing this uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World thing, <laughs> like movie show thing, and I'd done a couple of them before. And I figured like Josh would kind of be the perfect person to play with since he loves like video games and 80s stuff yeah um so i was like you know do this sex bob band with me and he's like okay well i'm gonna bring my drummer but i was playing drums so <laughs> i think i played bass and you that. did play bass yeah. i don't really know how that transpired well i maybe even wasn't playing bass yet maybe i don't or remember maybe he asked me to do it and i was like i don't want to play those drum parts that's probably what it was. <laughs> but i'll try the bass <laughs> We did sex bombs again. Oh yeah, we did it again. You played drums, Mm -hmm. which makes sense because it was like a chick drummer with red hair. Yeah, it really, truly, it it did make more sense for for me to be. But those drum parts were awfully, uh, they're awfully sloppy, and you probably didn't enjoy them that much. You know, I have noticed though that (laughs) when when trying to cover other people, there's there's no rule that says that that the 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 tighter, more advanced drummers are harder to cover. Honestly, for me, it it is harder to. To copy and to kind of capture the vibe of mm-hmm. a drummer that is a little sloppy, 
because it goes yeah. against kind of the instincts that I was taught in school and things like that. Right. Um, so I, I, I appreciate that, that sort of challenge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think we've done a couple, we did a few other things together. Oh yeah. We did like a Rolling Stones tribute. Yes. And do we do anything? I don't little, know what else we did. Bowie project. That old thing. Yeah. I did want to talk a little bit about that, the band that fell to earth, kind of the origin story with that, because you were directly involved with it as much as I was. Like, I think we were sitting on your couch or something yeah. and talking about, like, we should do something together, because I, you know, I really like playing with you. Yeah, we like David Bowie. Let's yeah. just do, like, a David Bowie tribute. I do right? remember, I feel like there was maybe another option, or there, there were a couple of names that came up, and yeah. we were like, Bowie. Like, we can both agree on right. Bowie. Yeah. I consider myself a Bowie fan, but not like I didn't know as much of his catalog oh. definitely as I do now but or absolutely yeah, yeah. I, I, I probably would have considered myself a casual Bowie fan right prior to the the band that fell to earth project but I I just knew the hits you know everybody knows the hits right that's, there's a lot of hits, hits too yeah <laughs> a lot of hits yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah I think that's one of the, the the hardest parts about starting that project was I thought it was going to be a lot easier than it ended yeah, up being. Right. <laughs> his, his songs are, are a lot of a, a lot of times um, they, they sound simple because he makes them sound simple mm-hmm. because he's so good and his his band members are so good um, but they're, they're not they're intricate and there are weird changes and weird yeah. timing situations within mm-hmm. the songs that you don't notice because they're so they're executed in such a, a smooth way but um, it was a lot harder than I had yeah. planned for no I totally agree it like there's a few songs I can think of right now that are just like they seem like they're just like basic four on the floor. Yeah. I think you know. Blue Jean is a good example yeah, of Blue a Jean. song. You're mm-hmm. like this is this is the easiest cheesiest one, yeah. but <laughs> nope, one of the hardest <laughs> ones for the band to get mm-hmm. right. So. Yeah, yeah, and Queen Bitch too. That one like had some weird turnarounds. Oh yeah, but it seems so like that one just seems like a basic kind of blues mm-hmm. rock thing. That was one I remember. The very first year, I, I was in a drive through line listening to Bowie in my car. It's all I did was just listen to it over and over, tried to kind of internalize it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that song, I had to repeat over and over because I couldn't figure out what was happening in this. I think it was like the pre-chorus section or something. It just it was longer in one part than in the yep. other part. And... and uh, I, I straight up had to like count it out on my fingers yeah. and write it down. Yeah, and again, it's one of those songs that is... It sounds, the drums sound to me kind of sloppy and just sort of like Mm -hmm. um, very natural and very just not childish, but I mean, in in a way, they're not polished at all. Right. Um, And it made for one of the hardest Bowie songs to to cover. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When we kind of put it together, it was... I think part of the reasoning, too, was that we knew he was releasing Black Star and his birthday was coming up because we were going to do the show like at the end of January yeah. that next year. And we planned it like at the end of November or something. And and so it was like, yeah, people will be interested because it's Bowie. And also <laughs> he's releasing this album. And then he died. Yeah. Like it was insane because so we had been in rehearsals. Yeah. And know. I'd really at that time, like I said, I'd considered myself kind of a casual fan, but mm-hmm because we were doing this I wanted to understand him and who he was right. and, you know so I'd been watching all these documentaries and I'd done you know been doing my homework so I had this connection with him that I'd, I'd never had at any other point in my life and I wouldn't have had honestly if, right. if we hadn't started the project but because of that the loss seemed just to hit me so much harder than it it would have otherwise yeah and I know that it, it hit a lot of people absolutely um, in, a, in a major way mm-hmm. yeah it was that was rough. I just, I thought I, like, I, I read it and I thought I was dreaming. <laughs> I was like, right, no, me too. I thought, you know, yeah. like, oh, I've been really focusing in on these Bowie songs, so just, <laughs> just having a dream about them now, mm-hmm. but you yeah, know, it, was, but it was real. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, you know, we were just going to do that as a one-off thing mm-hmm. and then it ended up turning into a huge thing. We had to move the show to the Uptown Theater <laughs> and like, since then there's just been a demand every yeah. year for it. And, and I'm really grateful to Steve and the record bar for hosting us every year. Um, and it's just, for me, it's been one of the most meaningful projects that I've done. Same, even, yeah. even though we're like, you know, we're covering something, but it's also just paying tribute to this legendary artist. And we have this really great band of people, too. <laughs> and I feel like there aren't any egos involved. You know, everybody's just trying to serve the music. Yeah, which is amazing considering the size of the group. Yeah, there's that, 13 people. <laughs> that we've managed to find some of the most talented people to have around and mm-hmm. also just some of the coolest people. I, I think that the, the members of the, the Bowie Project are 
are truly some of my very favorite people that that I've met. Yeah. Um, and I am. I'm. I all the time. Anytime a Bowie song comes on the radio, I think <laughs> how how you know just grateful I am that I get to play these songs because one, they're just really fun songs to play. They are. The group's really fun to play with. It feels good. Like I can feel it when mm-hmm. when we're even just in rehearsals. You know, the, right. the shows are obviously a different level of um, intensity and, and, <laughs> and feeling and endorphins and things like that. But even just playing in rehearsal, I I just there's a a really positive atmosphere mm-hmm. that happens when we get together. Yeah, it's like every year when we get together for the first time, everybody's just so happy. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, yeah. I missed you guys. It's like we'll... going back to summer camp or something. You know, yeah. I, don't, I, yeah. I never went to summer camp. I don't know why I said that. I, I have no idea what summer <laughs> but camp is But like. I imagine actually, in the movies. You know, the you movies like, make it seem very traumatic, actually. It depends on the movies. <laughs> like <laughs> okay, Adam's well, family? I guess I've seen... yeah, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Well, that was... We took a turn. Okay. We'll cut. Anyway. <laughs> but it is. It's Or maybe maybe like like going back to school. You know, like you've had your summer. Mm-hmm. and it was fine it was cool but you, but you, you, see your you miss your friends yeah, yeah. Right? and yeah. I, I feel that way every time we get back together mm-hmm. with the Bowie group and and luckily we've gotten to do some in-between stuff yeah in the last few years mm-hmm. I mean thanks to you <laughs> yeah and hopefully we'll get to do it again yeah. sometime when it's safe to do so but we can't even socially distance the band right so. yeah, there's, there's no way to get that many people and we'd have to have a, a big space uh yeah real big <laughs> so if the T-Mobile Center will allow us yeah. to really be the only place we yeah. can do it. Or just someone with like a massive yard. Yeah. Well, no. I not was looking enough. at my yard. Yeah, it's not so big I. enough. Yeah. <laughs> well, your main project for a long time was Katie Gian and the Girls. Mm-hmm. I'd say that Katie Gian and the Girls was was my my main my main thing. You know, and when I describe what I do to anybody who asks, I say I'm a drummer, and that's that's the project that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Katie is. Katie's just my person, so uh, I, I, I think we'll always play together. That's the goal, anyway, for me. But the girls, um, most, of, most of my major life experiences, um, not even just musical, but just life in general, have been um, directly related to my time spent with, with Katie and Claire in that project. Um, I, I had some of my hardest, you know, most challenging times. Um, but, but more often and more importantly, some of the the best times that I had, some of the the most fun shows and the most fun experiences, um, happened within that, Mm -hmm. within that world. And yeah, I'd say, you know, if the world ended tomorrow, which (laughs) it seems it it could, um, I, I could, I'd be satisfied because I had I did what I wanted to do, and I, I did a spectrum of things with the girls. I played the smallest dive bars, you know, little rock shows. I played in Sweden. We opened for the Doobie Brothers. That was yeah. we, we got to go on stage with them and sing, listen to the music. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, it was really cool. Although we didn't have monitors because they all had in ears, so we had oh, no idea what wow. we sounded like. Mm. But they knew what we sounded like. <laughs> so sorry, Doobie Brothers. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I'd, I'd be satisfied because I've. I had such a great time in that band, and obviously, um, I'm still planning to work toward having more awesome experiences. And I'm I'm working every day with Katie and um, just on myself to to be able to to continue having those. But I I feel very very blessed to have gotten to live the the Katie and the girls life. That was one life for me, and mm-hmm. it, it transitioned um, into to where I'm at now. But uh, it was it was huge. Yeah, because you had done some touring before, mm-hmm. and you'd played with a bunch of bands, but you really hadn't done anything to that level before. Right. This Because th- you played the girls toured constantly. Constantly, yeah. yeah. And it was just the three of us, and, you know, sometimes we would take a merch person or somebody um, mm-hmm. with us, but for the most part, it, like, we were, it was the three of us, and we were constantly together. We shared hotel rooms everywhere we went, you mm-hmm. know? And so, and just like in any best friend relationship or sister relationship, like, there would be moments, the things that we would have to work through, you sure. know, <laughs> challenges. Yeah. Um, but the connection that we had during our shows and while we were playing and while we were creating, even just in writing and things like that, it made up for those, all of those. And it was the first time that I really learned how to work with others um, to create something and then to maintain that thing, to kind of like try to build on, mm-hmm. on what, you've, what you've put out there. And, uh, you know, it's where I learned how to perform. It's where I learned how to how to be a 
business-minded musician rather than just a you know a drummer yeah 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 Yeah. and I I think that I I credit Katie and Claire um for for teaching me a lot of those skills that that I'm able to use now Mm -hmm. yeah and I think that shows because I feel like that's a lot of why you were so successful as a band you know on the musical side and also on the personal side because you could tell when you're on stage that you're having a good time yeah we were having a great time yeah and I we were all driven we wanted it Mm -hmm. so bad and we wanted to work for it um and i think that was maybe what what set us apart from some other projects even that we'd been in in the past Mm -hmm. was that this this trio this like little (laughs) triangle of people uh was we were just we were driven and motivated and we really were passionate about what we were doing so that made it easy to to put the work in that got us all of the things that that we were able to to have and to do so you've transitioned into Katie Gann and the Drive, and you've done your share of touring with that band too. Yeah, we've we've been hitting it as as hard as possible, <laughs> considering uh, you know the circumstances right. this year and things like that, and the fact that we were basically a new band. We were starting out. Obviously, we tried to maintain um, connections and things like that from the project before, but we. But this is different. It's, it's a different still a thing. different thing. Yeah. yeah, the music is is it's us. It sounds like us, but it's different. We try to be very true to ourselves, so we can only get so far away from what we were because that's just who we are. Mm-hmm. But I do think we're we're trying for a kind of a different thing here, and so because of that, it does um, require a lot of those kind of foundational steps that we took with the girls. We have to redo those. Right. And so that's that's where we're at. That's where we left off. We were picking up a little bit of steam and then COVID. So uh, we'll see what happens, but we've just been doing our best to stay busy with digital content and writing and recording. We've, we've got an album's worth of material already demoed, ready to go as soon as we can, you know, find where to take it. Yeah. Because you released your first EP this year, like at the beginning of COVID, right? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It was like, right after lockdown started or oh, yeah. right before it was within a week of mm-hmm. of the stay at home order <laughs> yeah nailed crazy. it yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i mean what else can you do right this year yeah i think we had a luckily we were able to have a a, a kansas city release in january although there was a snowstorm during that too oh, so yeah. That's right. maybe this album <laughs> well better luck next time uh, <laughs> yeah no we, we got to release it in kansas city um physical copies but we didn't do the the international release or you know that right. just means online yeah um until <laughs> yeah right mid-march i think it was so Mm -hmm. yeah but even before that you were touring i mean like i went on Mm -hmm. a tour with you to california and that was huge yeah those were some of my favorite shows and that's that's what keeps me you know optimistic and and hopeful that good uh positive live experiences will happen again (laughs) Mm -hmm. for for katie and i and, and for everyone who's playing music um because when when you end a band you kind of have these these anxious thoughts like oh are we ever going to reach that level again are we ever going to play a big show again are we going to play a a festival again you know or or are we just going to be in little dive bars which there are definite pros to that i do like that but yeah there's there are some questions as to like where are we going to end up with this new thing and that the run that we did with you on bass um we got to play at the fillmore yeah that was incredible yeah it was one of my favorite experiences in my entire life so yeah me too um yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic that there are big things to come and that those days aren't behind me necessarily. Right. But, but I'm yeah. also very aware of the work that it will take to to continue uh, on that path. And you both are definitely doing that work and you have been we for try. a <laughs> long time. So I, I don't see that right. stopping anytime soon. Aside from not being able to play live shows um, with COVID, the main thing that I've noticed impacting what we as musicians do um, is just sort of a when, when you don't know what's going to happen it can be hard to feel motivated to work towards something sure. mm-hmm. um, and when you have to kind of pivot and change what you're doing entirely it can be hard to find motivation if for that task if it's not something that you're necessarily passionate about I'm passionate about playing the drums I'm passionate about playing live music I'm not necessarily passionate about editing videos right. you know but it's what we have to but do you have to, yeah. so yeah so i think it has been a challenge to find the same the work ethic i think but luckily katie is 
is great for for pushing me along and i think we, we work together to do that like we have to edit this video because we have to put something out because right. yeah it makes us happy and it makes other people happy I, I think the entire music industry every single band every single music worker every single venue you know it's yeah. all going to be different now yeah the people who are willing to try new things and new approaches to what they were doing before mm -hmm. are the ones that will most likely make it through this you right. know and ideally we'll come out on the other side and be able to pick back up playing shows and i won't have to edit split screens together <laughs> for a long time but if that's what i have to do to to get out to other people like what what we're creating then i'm mm -hmm. you know more than willing it's just it's not always fun right it's it's definitely uh pivot yeah. in a different direction but but it's still like a way to connect with your audience yeah. and i think that was a thing about the girls and then now the drive i think resonates with people being being somebody who's been very close to both of those bands and playing in those bands sometimes <laughs> um you know it's like that's what resonates with people like you you all are incredible musicians of course and you make great music but in addition to that it's really just that that ability to connect with somebody where they're at and I think that's something that you've been able to do through your music. Thank you. That's that's the goal. <laughs> yeah. So in addition to playing with Katie and the Drive, you've done a few other bands that I've mentioned. Um, so Joanne Shaw Taylor was the artist that you played with earlier this year in yeah. Europe. Yeah, I was on I did that I was initially supposed to be a month long tour of the UK. I think it ended up being like 14 or 15 days and then I got sent home. But um, Joanne is somebody that the girls connected with um, through some shows. We did a, a blues cruise, I think, is where we first met her and her band and just kind of maintained a friendship. And when she needed somebody to, to fill in on drums, I was like, yeah, definitely. I will for sure go to Europe yeah. with you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, I played with, with Joanne. Um, I've played with Danielle Nicole here in, in Kansas City um, a, a number of times. She's one of, she's always, I mean, since the first time I saw her, been one of the most impressive um, musicians and, yeah. and personalities. <laughs> yeah, she's incredible. Uh, yeah, she, she's she's amazing. And I'm, I'm so happy to have had opportunities to play with her because um, there are certain musicians that you just kind of feel a connection with when you're playing. You know, it mm -hmm. just locks in and it's easy. And I felt that way with a number of people, but yeah, I've had a great time filling in for bands because I get to try different styles of playing and and connect with um, with with just the, the individuals that I'm playing with mm -hmm. in a way that I wouldn't be able to otherwise, you know? It's one right. thing to see a show, it's, a, it's another to be a part of that show and oh, to yeah. be aware the whole time that you're a part of it and you're in it, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and then I did, a couple of weeks, uh, I, I did a three-week tour with Madison Ward and the Mama Bear a couple of years back. Mm -hmm. That was amazing. Yeah. Because, uh, again, another one of those artists that's like I loved and admired and then got the chance to play with. So I was um, very aware the entire time of, of how <laughs> lucky and happy I was uh, to be there. Yeah, and those were pretty big shows too because you played with yeah. was it the record company mm -hmm. or yeah it was an opening slot uh, following the record company around and it was quite an experience uh, oh that was when yeah. well if you want to talk about that yeah we'll, we'll touch on it briefly yeah. um everything got stolen yeah. in new jersey is <laughs> is the gist of of what happened on that tour um yeah we we i don't know maybe a week into the tour or something and uh parked the van with the trailer and everything in it in New Jersey in, in the parking lot of the hotel that was supposedly uh, monitored, but mm -hmm. they <laughs> showed us on the monitor the van driving away. <laughs> but it was monitored. Yeah, we least, saw it happen, so. <laughs> uh, but there was there was nothing they could do. But luckily, the, um, the record company guys, the band, the record company, um, hooked it up and helped us uh, with some equipment. That's we were awesome. able to get some things at, you know, Guitar Center and yeah. made it happen, but it was an experience. Well, and then the van, like, got found. Or we like found the van. You guys, that's yeah, right. Bryce, yeah, yeah. Bryce found that's the, right. the guitarist. Yeah, which is insane. Uh, it ended up we randomly hotwired some hotel, uh, maybe thirty minutes away or something, and. 
Bryce went out to walk around in the morning and we had gone to pick up the rental van, uh, me and space player Brent, and uh, we got a call from Bryce and he was like, hey, I'm looking at the van right now. We're like, what? <laughs> yeah, like on the video again? <laughs> but he, apparently, whoever stole the van just happened to ditch the van at the same place that we... That's insane. ...randomly hotwired to stay the next night. So, um, so Madison got his van back. Yeah, so that's good. Uh, yeah. One other thing I wanted to get at with this podcast was to start conversations with my guests about things that should change within the sphere of the music scene, whether that's locally or just on the whole. And I mentioned in my last episode that I did this segment for The Bridge a couple years ago called Turning the Tables KC about the experiences of women in music. And I like to think that it helped facilitate some good conversations on how we can move forward. So Steph, I wanted to ask you about something that has special meaning to you as a person who works very extensively in this industry. Yeah, when you sent the email about this podcast (laughs) and you were like come up with an issue that you think needs to be addressed. I was like, oh boy. Um, And I kind of thought through some stuff that, you know, we get asked about a lot, like being a woman in music and things Mm -hmm. like that. And, you know, there are very real issues to be addressed there. But something that most people might not know about me is I I spent um, seven years working as a case manager in the mental health field. And um, I was doing that uh, throughout the entirety of the girls. That was, that was my full-time day job. Uh, but I, I went to school. I got a degree in psychology, half of a master's degree in counseling. <laughs> and I actually had I had to um, pick between... I had, I had three things going on. I had um, school and my, a job and the girls. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I need to pick two out of three of these. And one needs to be the job <laughs> so yeah, gotta, just realistically at, money, at this yeah. time yeah so I, uh, I i stuck with the case management and the rock and roll yeah no i think mental health it's always been an interest of mine it's always been something that has been important to me and that i've had my own experiences with uh as you know as I as know. my best friend yes yes <laughs> and that there is a major 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 at least correlation between mental health issues and creatives absolutely Um, yes musicians artists um anybody who is putting themselves out into the world Mm -hmm. and in any sort of creative way there is a a a high chance you know that there are, are mental health issues at play i i was trying to do some actual research for this podcast um and just the first thing that i that i found that they really kind of like stood out to me um spotify for artists actually mm-hmm. they, they put out the results of a study they'd collected information on i think it was 1500 musicians and they found that 73 percent of independent working musicians mm-hmm. had some some level some severity of, of mental health symptoms <laughs> And I said the main ones were uh, anxiety, depression, symptoms of those. Um, got them. Got them. <laughs> check, check, check. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's an issue that is, it's it's personal for me. It's personal for a lot of people. And there's a number of reasons why it's not addressed properly. Um, I mean, down to just the basic, you know, the, the stigma surrounding mental yeah, illness. Absolutely. You know, people don't necessarily want to talk about those things mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. Lack of resources things like health insurance coverage and the, the lack of access to that for musicians. It's huge. And I know there are organizations that work very hard, like MMF, to yeah, help absolutely. musicians mm-hmm. with their health needs. I think what is very much lacking in the music scene locally and you know beyond that is access to things like therapy, um, right. psychiatry, medication treatment mm-hmm. for creatives who, like I said, are some of the most... Uh, likely people out there to have the need for those resources and the least likely to have access to them. Right, because when you're a working musician, that's your job. And so you're a contract employee, so you're not going to have 
maybe any kind of insurance anyway. Yeah, it's a challenge, and it's one that I'm experiencing firsthand right now where mm-hmm. I, I left my, my day job, uh, right. the, the case management position in November of 2019, thinking like, I'm doing it. I'm going full time. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Nailed it again, timing, because uh, <laughs> COVID. But it's something that I've noticed is that it is very hard to find any sort of support for, for, for mental health issues. And I think there's so much more common now because of COVID and the things that go along with that, like isolation and something again that I've noticed is just sort of a a lower motivation or desire to create right and then because of that it's in a way makes a person feel even more depressed because Mm -hmm. they're not putting out that content yeah yeah. feeds off of yeah or they're not being as productive as they would like to be another main thing that I notice as a musician and that I've noticed in, in friends and peers I guess is that there is a need to please others as as a creative person as a performer as uh, you know anybody putting something out there into the world and even if you're the type of person that doesn't care at all what people think Mm -hmm. it it matters when when you're financial stability depends on whether or not people are picking up what you're laying down you know yeah and i think that there is that pressure you know, if you're trying to get to a certain level, you you are beholden to the opinions of other people, right? And so, th- so that that pressure to to be able to support yourself on this thing that you're you're putting out there, not knowing how people are going to respond to it, right. you know, that's that's heavy. Uh, that weighs on people. Mm-hmm. I think just the financial instability of being a musician in mm-hmm. general is enough to cause. Oh, anxiety yeah. and, and, you know, depression. So I was trying to think of some things that I could suggest because, you know, I can't solve the health insurance problem right. in this country <laughs> and things like that. But but on a, on a smaller scale, the decreased access to mental health services requires that there be a more open dialogue about mental health. Mm-hmm. So if we can't go and access the services that we need, whether it's medication or any sort of therapy, the next best thing is to have a conversation mm-hmm. that's just open all the time between other members of the community so that we can check in with each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that we could continue to build. I, I've noticed recently since um, COVID, since lockdown, some people reaching out and saying, hey, I'm, I'm looking for online support. Does anyone have any ideas? And just by doing that, just by putting yourself out there and asking for support, it is visible to the people who are not at a point in their life where they can do that for themselves. Mm-hmm. So they can see those resources that people are suggesting, you know, and I've right. been I've been really pleased with kind of the dialogue that I've seen just between members of the Kansas City music community. I would just like for there to be more and for it to be, if it's more ongoing, I think people will be more comfortable um, engaging. Yeah, and I think that speaks to like just overall, you know, like you mentioned before, there has been for such a long time the stigma behind mental health, being able to be open with other people and be vulnerable about it and not be ashamed of it. Right. And I think the more people see that others are talking about it Mm -hmm. in an open and supportive way, I think the more comfortable they will be, you know, and that's not to say that everyone's going to be able to just reach out and say, I need right. help, but that's just a step that we could take. And and maybe there could be some sort of virtual meeting, you know, now because of COVID, mm-hmm. just to check in, just be like, how's everyone doing? Or just a group on a social media page that allows people to uh, become a member and then, you know, check in with, with the other members. And I guess opening the playing field and just making it okay yeah <laughs> i think talk if, yeah, about if these we things had and... a place to talk safely about this mm-hmm. whether it's like some sort of monthly in-person meeting you know when yeah. when it's safe to do that or a virtual meeting or just an online group if there was a place where people could ask for support or provide information on the places and things that they know about um, i think that if, if that's if that's more accessible to people mm-hmm. they're more likely to to utilize those 
Yeah, and I think it's just all about creating that safe space. Because, you know, when you think about it, it's like, as artists, we're already being a little more vulnerable than Absolutely. I guess, the average person, yeah. the, a non-performer. Because there's the songwriters, which we're not, but, you know, mm-hmm. like, we're still getting on stage and doing this thing. And, and I know, like, both of us, at least, are kind of introverted. So yeah. when we've gone on tour, it's always been like, okay, well, we got to go talk to these people now. Because exactly, that's, yeah. we, 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 that's part of the job. You got to do it. <laughs> you know, but so, like, I think talking about stuff like that specifically is really important because we all like as artists and as performers where we all have these shared things that we don't necessarily talk about because right. we don't want to seem ungrateful for you know like I do feel really grateful when I get to connect with people but it's also like it's really hard because exactly. I'm not a natural talker you right know? we share that and that's yeah. probably why we're best friends <laughs> I've noticed in my experience uh, just as a musician that, that play shows and has to interact with with crowds and and venue owners and, and things like that that I am impacted all the time by my anxiety mm-hmm. and more often than my interactions with people I'm, I'm anxious when I'm playing I am I'm experiencing these feelings of anxiety about things like Am I playing the right tempo? You know, am mm-hmm. I, do I, am I looking weird? Yeah. There are things like that that are running through my head constantly. And it's, it's stuff that I've, I've worked to gain control over. And luckily I've had a lot of opportunities to practice because of just sure. the amount of shows that I've played. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do, I know that I'm not the only one experiencing things like that. You're probably far from right. the minority in that because you know I'm the same way and mm-hmm. I, I've talked to a lot of other people right. like privately who are the same way but but there hasn't really been any place for us to like put that in right the- I, I've noticed though that a, a lot of what artists decide to do for treatment because it's their only option is self-medicating mm-hmm. and I found myself in that same position where, you know, if you're getting paid and like, here's a little bit of money and here's 10 drink tickets right. and you're anxious, well, I didn't make enough money to pay for therapy. So I'm going to use these drink tickets and that's going to take the edge off. But after a while, it stops taking the edge off, you know, yeah. you need more and more. And then I'm anxious because I'm like, oh, am I tipsy? And like, am, you know, can yeah. I play? Can I perform? <laughs> mm-hmm. And it just, it, it, it really can spiral quickly. And this is just my experience, and I know that others have similar experiences and and experiences that are different but run parallel. I know I'm not the only one who's who's gone through this, so that's why if there was one thing that I could choose that would universally benefit all creative people, it's to find some sort of way to help help people find the support they need for their mental health challenges, Um, specifically people who are creating and people who are putting themselves out there and are unfortunately the the least likely to have access to what they need to feel better and just night after night put in a position to yeah. to just drink it away yeah. and or and it's I, constant you know yeah. it doesn't really stop <laughs> exactly and I, the anxiety doesn't get better the, the the depression doesn't get better it only gets worse if you do things like that if you handle it in that way sure and five years ago if there had been a place where I could have gone and talked to other musicians in the city and said, "Hey, like I'm I'm experiencing this. This is this is hard. What like what what are you what are you guys you feel the same thing or Yeah. <laughs> I think that would have been helpful. Right. I think I wouldn't have felt so alone and I think I wouldn't have felt so ashamed because mm-hmm. here I am experiencing these fantastic things that I am truly grateful for, but I'm not able to like really appreciate them because I'm so anxious or I'm so just in my head, really, right. you know, in yeah. in that sort of fog. That, that you can find yourself in when you when you leave those issues untreated. Mm-hmm. This is a great way to bring it to light, especially in creatives. You know, it's like I was actually planning to do like a mental health series for artists at the beginning of this year, mm-hmm. but then COVID hit, so our right. you know everything kind of changed, and the conversations now changed because of things you've already said. Right, and anything that, that people are experiencing, it's only become more intense because of COVID. Oh, yeah. totally. You know, you're more isolated, less financially stable. And you can't play, really, so right. that makes it right. very it, difficult. Discouraged, mm-hmm. and it's just, it can be hard to find motivation. It can be hard to get out of bed some days, truthfully. Yeah. And... How do you create and how do you put yourself out there when you can't even get up, you know? So yeah. I think I've I've realized that I worked for seven years finding resources for people with severe mental illnesses mm-hmm. and I struggled to 
reach out and find them for myself. So if that's, (laughs) if that's my experience, I can only imagine how hard it is for other people who don't know the system to get help. So I, you know, I'd, I'd like to continue brainstorming and thinking of ways that that we can get that to people. Yeah, and mental health is so essential and yet so often overlooked. So I really appreciate you bringing your knowledge and personal experience, and we should really keep talking about this. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate you taking the time and allowing me to be your first interview. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm so glad that it was with you, honestly. <laughs> it's just getting weird. I don't know. People are getting uncomfortable yeah. now. So I'm just going to go ahead and wrap it up. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Stephanie for joining me and providing the tracks you heard in this episode. You can find most of these artists on Bandcamp or through this streaming platform. Bookending the show was Katie Ginn and the Girls' Four Walls from their 2018 EP of the same title. DeLorean, Happily Never After, a single from 2016. The Cave Girls' I Said Wow from their self-titled 2012 album. And Katie Ginn and the Drive, No Control from the Dream Girl EP, which was released earlier this year. Special thanks to Patrick Spray and Chris Mowry. Please listen and subscribe to the Center Cuts podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.